everybody. Let's go. It's time for the Sunday recap. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, uh, I'm here with Ariel Eldridge, Mitch Green, and myself. This is Chris McLaughlin. I'm always glad when you're here with yourself. I'm here with myself. Yep. Uh, We're keeping it. Uh, you man. did one podcast by yourself, right? I did. Well, what's yeah, it? yeah did I did. did yeah, over a Christmas one break. monologue. Aw. Yeah, because there's something happened. I think that proves that we didn't listen. I didn't listen to. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Just here by myself. I listened to some of it, <laughs> but we listen to you so often that I feel like we can. Uh, we, we make can... me feel like I just talk too much. No, not at all. <laughs> I just have we to listen to you, you all the time. So <laughs> No, we enjoy you. Well, welcome in, everyone. This is the Sunday Recap, the podcast where we recap the sermon from Sunday. That's what we do here. Uh, we are going to be talking today about the um, week three of this um, really cool series in Psalm 23 called Living in the Overflow that Scott's been doing. And can we pause? Yeah. That had to be you. Did you forget the name? Yes, I did. <laughs> I thought he did. <laughs> and I had to swipe up. And I look, saw, I in the saw overflow. this Ooh, really cool too. series called. <laughs> I thought that's what he was doing. Sorry, world. You get. You, we gotta let it's, you know. We're getting real. We're getting real in here. Yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, make the logo for it or anything, right? So yeah. it's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does. I should have known. That helps in grain. <clears throat> I do. I just remember. Psalm 23. It, that's anyway. It's anyway, an important part. To remember. Yeah. If 20 years from now you remember that we talked about Psalm 23, yes, that's and right. Not the title of the series. <laughs> we're doing something right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to be uh, talking about Psalm 23. In particular, verse two is what um, Pastor Scott focused on, and Sabbath, and all that sort of stuff. Um, really interesting stuff. Just talking about Sabbath, guys. What do you? Before we get into this stuff, what do you guys do for Sabbath? Let's go. Oh, man, it's so weird. What do you like to do to rest? Yeah, when you're on staff, well, I started as a congregant, you know, for my whole life. And yeah. now to come on staff and realize that I'm going to have to switch it up Sunday can't always be mm-hmm. Sabbath. In fact, it rarely is now. So um, <laughs> mine is mine is typically on Saturday uh, where I try not to, like, schedule anything because we can do things as a family that day. Yeah. Just um, play games. Uh, I wake up late. We eat, you know, at random times and um, just enjoy the day. We'll go outside or do something that day. Yeah. Yeah, very similar. I mean, when I was a student pastor, Sunday was definitely not a day of rest. (laughs) I will say most Sundays currently for probably the next four weeks of my life, I can get a nap in. After that, I think it won't exist anymore after the baby's <laughs> born. But yeah. but before, but really for us, we you know, pre-COVID, we would do breakfast every Saturday morning. Yeah. We would schedule nothing on Saturdays. Um, we would just kind of hang out all day, maybe have something at night, but very rare because typically we were just kind of preparing for the morning. Oh, so yeah. Saturday was like the sacred day. We slow down. You know, we don't do anything. With that, we still do that now, but now I'm stuck kind of trying to make different breakfast items and I'm not very good at it every nah. week. So. <laughs> like, this is work. Yeah, yeah. No, I still have to wake up and make breakfast. So. When I was uh, uh, a little bit younger, my, my girls were younger. Um, they were in school on Fridays and my, my day off was Friday. So, yeah. so what was nice was during that season, Erica would go to work the girls would go to school and I'd have the whole house to myself. It was mm-hmm. quiet and I'd get to just take a nap, read a book, watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I had, you know, the whole school day was just, just quiet. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, I was going to say that was my Sabbath. Yeah. 
Until COVID. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh, so well. I'm, you know, and now it will, for us, you know, we have little kids now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, with little kids at home, you can't do that either. So, um, I'm, I'll, I'll just be honest. Like I'm struggling to figure out like how I can actually have like a restful day. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a struggle that a lot of parents of young kids have Absolutely. trying to figure that out. But yeah, anyway, interesting stuff. Well, Hey, before we get going too deep into talking about Sabbath, let's talk about a really cool event that's coming up in the life of our church. It's called loving the word. Ariel, can you tell us a little yes, bit about what this is about? We are so excited. So this is kind of our first go at a women's conference at Stones Crossing Church. And um, so we've invited Cindy Cockrum, and she's coming from uh, Wheaton, Illinois, from College Church. And they Wheaton. Have, yeah. Yes. They have a great women's Bible study program at their at their church. And yeah. so um, she has partnered with the Simeon Trust and done things with them. And so she's bringing some, some tools for personal Bible study just to help us understand when we read Scripture um, in personal Bible study time just how to... Um, interpret it and how to apply it and just love it to fall in love with it. Mm, so that's cool. we want to do that for our women. And we recommend if you have a friend that you want to bring with you, this would be a great opportunity to introduce them to um, getting to know their Bible and just getting to know the church. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, you can check out all the details online at stonescrossing.com slash loving the word uh, is what we're calling it. So we, I, we will, I just we made will. the website this morning. Oh, dang so. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all so, looking at each other. Like, inside I look here, people. The website this morning. Okay. We're, we're looking so. at him like, that's the plan, but that's not up yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, loving the word. So stonescrossing.com slash loving the word. Or you can check out our events page on the Stones Crossing app <laughs> or online. So uh, And all the details are there. So sign up today. It's going to be great. Well, uh, yeah. Ariel, we'll see you there. I won't because I can't go. You're not invited, but we we, we let you stand in the back. (laughs) Sweet. And rock the babies. Good, good. Well, as we said, Pastor Scott did the third week of our Living in the Overflow series, kind of the the end of this section of it that that he's doing, and we're going to jump into something new next week. But he really focused on Psalm 23, verse 2. So let's go back to Psalm 23 and and start there because that's, I think, just going back to this this uh, incredible psalm uh, every week is just going to be so key. So, um, so this is what it says. It says, this is starting at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." So verse two is the, is this focus on, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he makes me, uh, he leads me beside still waters. And he really began by talking about, I mean, the, the, the life that we live in right now, feeling just so overwhelmed by stuff and busyness and, and, um, and that I loved how he said like, and you feel guilty when you relax, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? So what is it about what's going on in our culture today where that's the condition. Like that's, that's where, that's what we struggle with. We struggle with 
full calendars, feeling overwhelmed, having too much on our plate. Why do we do that to ourselves? Yeah, I, um, I've said this a couple times on the podcast, but I think this is actually the message that really hits home on it, where we wear our stress, we wear our overworking as badges of honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like yeah. we're taught to like, it's almost something to brag about. Right. To just, to, you know, just be like, oh, you know, I'm just so busy. And everybody else wants to be like, yeah, I'm super busy too. And I've got so much stuff going on in my <laughs> life. And I'm just, you know, trying to keep all these things moving. And and I think we don't even hear that anymore. Like we became so callous to it that we don't hear somebody else saying they're busy and, you know, starting to be worried, you know, for their spirit and for their soul. We're just kind of like, oh, that's that's the norm in our society. Mm-hmm, and right. and again, I think I think that's, you know, corporate America has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. You know, overworking mm-hmm. people, expecting a lot from them. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, everybody, just the expectations are at an all-time high. You're looking, you know, and we'll get to this, kind of at other people. You know, you may be a mom and you see another mom on social media and you see the way that she's got her kids seem to look all put together. And right. you're like, I got to keep up with this. And so now it's an identity thing. And yeah. and I think it's just like our the social media presence of presenting this facade of your life being perfectly put together. But yet, if I really ask you what was going on, you would tell me you're way over busy or behind on everything. Yeah. Is really just contributing to this facade of us trying to you know, maintain a status that we have no ability to maintain. And I think we're all doing it. And I was even reflecting, you know, (laughs) on like, you know, even just as you were reading the passage, you know, he says, he makes, he makes me lie, you know, makes me lie down in green pastures, you know, takes me by still waters. Well, like, you know, pastures can be muddy and still waters and water can be something that's crazy. And even in my world, it's like things that I even think are good. Mm-hmm. There's a way to approach them from God's identity, and then there's a way to just flat out burn myself out, mm-hmm. you know, and that can be with either seminary work or sermon prep or things related to the church. So even good things, we have a tendency to kind of turn them <laughs> and not approach them out of our identity from God. So I'm going way long there, but that's just, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's something that there. we wrestle with a lot. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say there, it, it, somewhere along the lines, we have equated productivity with value. And if you're no longer able to accomplish, then you no longer have value. Mm, And I don't know if that's like – that could be um, ideas on where we find um, the image of God reflected in man because there have been so many ideas on how, um, you know, it's in the mind. So if you can do this, this, and this, then that's the reflection of God. And if you can't do those things, then you must not be an image bearer. Um, And those are are false, and I just think that – Somehow, though, they have seeped into our society, and so we we equate yeah. those things. Yeah, I think even in the church too, because there's a there's a uh, kind of a, a culture that's been built in the church of sort of it, it's sort of a product of the mega church movement, mm-hmm. but but the idea that like we are all made and designed for something great, yeah, and 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 we got to be moving and like chasing after that great thing. When when the first things that we are called to actually are very ordinary things that don't that aren't flashy, they're not, you know, they're not things that, that we love doing all the time. I mean, what I'm talking about is very simply, um, we're talking about obedience. Yeah. You know, we're talking about if you are married, then, then you are first called to this relationship to your spouse where you're ministering to them. Or if you have kids, you are called to be a parent and change diapers and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, make dinners and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's, 
there's a there's a calling in there that is very ordinary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we buck against that because somehow we we've believed this idea like, oh, we are we are made for something better than this, you know? And so we work, 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 work to try to chase after that thing. And I think we don't like to let things go. Yeah. I think I, I have a tendency, you know, when there's a new season or a new thing coming up, I want to still maintain everything else I have going on. Right. And that's just impossible. Right. Like we are limited. <laughs> and I think we have to accept that. And we don't want to. We want to keep spinning everything we've got going on, keep spinning all the plays. Well, how many of us had a parent that said, don't be lazy and don't be a quitter? You know? <laughs> and so, like, both of those things are yeah. super ingrained in all of us. <laughs> yep. So, when uh, Scott got into the kind of the meat of his message, he, he talked about two kind of, kind of like two big categories of what God is doing here. So the first is that God is prescribing refreshment for us and that he provides that rest. And so when Scott was talking about uh, prescribing refreshment, he was looking at verse two and seeing the refreshment, the nourishment, the um, the peace that God is prescribing for us here. And, and essentially he was bringing that back to the idea of Sabbath. Right. So help us. Let's just because Sabbath is a strange word. It it's, seems like it's it's a word. I mean, it's a Hebrew word. It, it seems to have more of a connotation of things that happen in um, in Jewish culture. So unpack for us. What is Sabbath? So uh, Scott brought up Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11. Um, we'll just read that really quickly here. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Um, and so I think what we see here is, um, you know, the author of Exodus is talking about how uh, the Lord modeled this for us as um, it's almost reminding me of tithing. You know, it's like this is what belongs to him. Mm. Um, and I think that Scott did a good job of helping us see why um, God did that for us yeah. to remind us of several things. Yeah, what did he? Well, let's talk about that. What did sure. he unpack there? Yeah, so he said um, it reminds us that God is the point of life, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that was a really important first. Um, and then the second one was God is the provider for our lives. So you see here that they would did all, did all their work in six days, um, similar similar to the way that the Lord created um, in six days and then rested. Yeah. Um, and then finally he said that uh, it reminds us that God is our Savior. One of the things I think is, is so interesting about the idea of Sabbath, and especially from what you read, Ariel, from, from Exodus 20, is that this is all based on, uh, as verse 11 says, based on how God created the, the, the earth, the heavens and the earth, mm-hmm. and that, that God does this because he set the pattern for it, and then he a- is asking us to follow that same mm-hmm. pattern, which is really neat. And then the Deuteronomy passage, um, so the the other time that we see this command is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. And there's, a, there's another little bit of um, information that's given to us there where he adds uh, – to this thing, a little bit more detail about what work looks like. So he that sort of expounded a little bit more. But what's neat about this is that in this one, verse 15, he ties it back to grace. 
So instead of being tied back to creation uh, the first time, the second time that it's talked about, it's tied back to how God delivered the people from the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And that this is a reminder then of of the grace that God has, has given us in our life. So, so there's this sort of humbling aspect, I think, to Sabbath, where it's both a reminder of how God is our creator and we are a creature. And so like what you said, Ariel, like we're limited mm-hmm. as, a, as creatures, but it's also a reminder of this incredible grace that God has given us that we have a rest that is in him and him alone, which we'll get to. We're, I want to talk about, about that a little bit more, but, but, but it's sort of one of them is pointing backwards, one is pointing forwards. It's yeah. Interesting. Cool. One of the other things that that Scott said, as far as refreshment and nourishment, and he's he's talking about sort of the green pastures, the lush pastures in there, is that that's food, you know, uh, for the sheep. That's that's food, and so our food then is the word. Um, that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, I love the passage that he brought up. This is 1 Peter 2, 2, where it says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And so, so there's, there's, this, there's this thing about the word of God where we just long for it. How do we um, how do we kind of get to a place where that's what we long for all the time? Like that's mm-hmm. the food that we crave. Yeah, I, I think I think it's one of those things that you don't you almost well you know what you need in a deep you know spiritual soulful sense, but you don't know what you need until you actually start to put something into practice. Yeah. And I think I think this is why we even have to talk about resting, you know, at some level before we can talk about the purpose of the Word of God. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have if you don't feel like you have space in your life to approach the Bible you know, you don't make time for it, then you're not even going to know, you know, what it, what it's like to long for God's word. Yeah. And so I think, I think really the starting point is making space so that you can approach the word of God um, and whatever, you know, that space is that that's appropriate for you. But, but I, you know, to talk about what it longs for the word of God, I think it begins by talking about making a time that you can actually approach God's word consistently to begin to realize, to practice what it looks like to live your days with the word as the foundation for those days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've talked about this before, but practically we, we said that parents, we do struggle finding um, a Sabbath, especially when you have little people at home. And um, in the past, I knew that I could get um, a good section of scripture read in um, a Daniel Tiger and a uh, <laughs> Curious <laughs> George. So, like, if I can, if I can just schedule that in and know that I've got you know an hour that I can have some coffee and just sit down and read. Um, I just yeah. had to, I had to start trying it out and yeah. and realized how much I loved it. Um, I was going to say too, how many times have we woken up from like an, a nap where we thought we were just going to lay down for a few minutes and we wake up and it's like three hours later and you say, oh, my body really must have needed to sleep. Yeah. Because we don't even, we don't even allow ourselves to know or to, mm-hmm. to, to feel that we actually do need something like that until mm-hmm. um, maybe we've tried it out and then we're like, wow, I, I needed that more than oh, I knew. Totally. I mean, I, I think it's also sort of apparent in our, 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 relationship with real food like you know what uh-huh. i mean like yeah. like because so, you know we we want um 
you know, salty snacks and candy and, and those sorts of things because our body is craving that sugar for mm -hmm. energy and things like that. But once we start eating in a um, uh, maybe a more healthy way, then your body starts to crave different things. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it changes us. And I think that's the same thing with the word. Like as you as you are filling your mind with God's word, you crave that more than you crave going to Facebook or you crave going to, you know, whatever, a, a, another novel or watching the news or whatever. Yeah. Like you crave God's word and his truth more than anything else. Yeah, so. and, and I think I think what, what the inherent, you know, biblical principle of Sabbath is, is that that's really what your soul, what your spirit desires more than yes. all these other things. And I think the problem in our context is that we often, um, we rely on these things and they all have limitations. And, you know, as you mentioned, social media, even good things like, you know, our diet plan, you know, yeah. we can try, like, like I'm approaching this new child and I'm like, I want to try to eat clean before I get there. Cause I know I'm going to lack sleep. Yeah. Well, there's limits to that actually being able to sustain me. Yeah. Is it a good thing? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But there's limits, you know, you may, you know, dive into your CrossFit gym, which is a great thing. It's yeah. a good discipline to be physically fit, but there's limits to your spiritual fitness, actually being able to grow you, you know, spiritually. It's not, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's just limited and it's in its capacity yeah. to grow you. Um, and where the word of God is limitless, mm -hmm. you know, God really is the source of life. And so while we need to maintain balance in all these things, as you were saying earlier, Ariel, there's like, there are limits that God set up and we want to sometimes even abuse those obvious limits, like try to act like there's eight days of the week to work or, mm -hmm. you know, we want to, you know, say, okay, I'm going to only eat 600 calories, even though I need 2000 a day, you know, <laughs> we try to recreate these limits and we can't do that. Well, yeah. the other thing we do is we deny that what our soul's really longing for, which is more of God. That's right. I mean, and I think it's a great correction because I don't want to give the impression that all those things are bad. Yeah, I, no, they're I, but, good but, things. But there's, there's, it, it's what is good and what is better or mm -hmm. what is best, you know, yeah. and that the word of God is always going to be the best thing for us. And I've heard, yeah. I've heard people say this, um, I, an elder in our church was saying this to me one time and I'll go nameless with him, but we were talking about just health and the different movements in health that are going on in, in America and mm -hmm. that are even going on within the church. And he said, you know, one of the things that concerns him is that he sees people that almost the way that they're trying to manage their health, no matter which side they fall on it, that they're they're this is becoming like their their idol, their obsession, their obsession yeah. to know exactly yeah. how certain things are working right now. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is like even having knowledge that is exactly in line with what's going on with whatever's in the newest health craze will not restore your soul. Right. And I think that's what we have to remind ourselves that there are limits to these things and really God and, and how do we know more about God will open his word. Yeah. That is how we actually grow in this ability to be restful and restore our soul. But yeah. we have to make time for that. Yeah. And as you said, that's not the pattern we've set. Right. Right. That's true. Well, uh, Scott moves on from there to talk about how God provides rest for us. And he starts talking about the Sabbath in light of, Hebrews chapter four, which um, is a really fascinating passage, and and uh, and what Scott says in this is that actually Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Now, a statement like that is interesting because it's it's so kind of like I don't know conceptual in a way where it's like what what exactly does that mean? Mm -hmm. Can you can you guys help us to get on the ground level of what does this mean when Scott says something like Jesus is our rest? Mm -hmm. How, how does that actually work out? 
I mean, I, I, I would think of it from a liter- literary perspective. So if we're reading the scriptures, um, the whole first testament of the Bible is, is leading up to Christ. And so we're seeing all these types because mm-hmm. God is um, the same yesterday and today and forever. And he just uses these things as little tastes of him unfolding his revelation of who yeah. he is yeah. and what he's going to do in his son, Jesus. And, um, and so I think that this, the Sabbath was, was just this little picture, a little taste of what he was going to fully provide for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And, and, and there's even more of those little, little tastes, those, those types right. that are dealing with this rest idea. Um, I think I think the the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, mm-hmm. ends up biblically being a picture of rest as well. So, like Psalm ninety five eleven says, uh, you know, God is talking about um, the 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 people of Israel who wandered in the desert, the Hebrews that wandered in the desert for forty years, and in in that verse he says, I swore in in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, is what it says, which is interesting because there he's he's he, God is is taking the idea of the land and calling it rest. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is picking up on in Hebrews 4, that because um, he says like Joshua, um, the, the rest that Joshua uh, led, led them into did not fully satisfy them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that there was a need for a better rest. And so the land is that picture of a rest, and, but there's a better rest that's coming. So ultimately, this is a picture of heaven. Like it's, it's this, the new heavens and new earth. It's everything that, that God has promised us in that is this ultimate rest. But what's fascinating about this to me is that there, is, there are bits and pieces of this that we will experience here mm-hmm. and now, you know, that it's not just something that we're just sitting around waiting to happen, but there's bits and pieces of it here. And so that's where um, Scott gets into this, Jesus is our righteousness, Christ is our identity, and Christ is our security. So let's dig into in, into that a little bit. These like, how can we see these bits and pieces of rest now? Of that rest that we're going to see in the new heavens and new earth. How how do we see that now? So first, Jesus is our righteousness, um, and here he was really talking about um, justification. The biblical understanding is that Christ died in in our place um, for our sins and. So it, what it does in the conversation that we're talking about is there's this eternal hope, this eternal perspective that's founded on the work of Christ, um, that we will no longer experience eternal damnation, but we'll experience you know glory and the rest with the Father. But this is all done by the work of Christ. So something that Scott said that I thought was really, really good, he said, you know, why do you think, he talked about Easter a little bit, but he also talked about, you know, Sunday, just taking time to reflect upon what God has done for you yeah. through Christ, what Christ has done for you and making that space, you know, in your week, in your day, you know, to not feel like you're the one who's, you know, ruling your eternity, right. but really that it's done by the work of Christ. And yeah. so um, something something I was thinking about as you were talking, Chris, and this is the end of that Hebrews 4.10, where it says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're talking about is that, like, if you were to take, like, a spiritual thermometer and you were to say, like, are you resting? 
<laughs> like, do you experience rest in your life? Yeah. Well, if your answer is no, again, and this, I feel like every week this is kind of the same question. We've been on this trend for like four weeks now. <laughs> if the answer is no, then it says something about the way that you relate to God. Yeah. And it's so are you living out of the identity that's been placed on you by Christ, which is the second point. Right. But are you? is it foundational to you that you're reminding yourself that, hey, like God's got this. That's right. You know, that no matter what trial you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, that we are promised an eternal security that's not founded on your circumstance, but it's founded on the work of Christ. The work of Christ being the righteousness that's been bought for you. Yeah. And um, that you've been justified by Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is such an important thing to talk about. Um, one of the things that, that Scott said, I, I tried to capture it write, it, write it down word for word, but I don't think I got it all. <laughs> but, but he said something to the effect of, we don't stop doing good works. We stop doing our good works to try to save ourselves. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, the issue is, is that we so often reverse that, right? We so often get that backwards. What then happens to us when we get that backwards? What, what gets messed up in our mind and in our heart when we get that backwards? Well, we're chasing a goal that's never going to be captured because you just can't. Mm-hmm. justify yourself. And man, when he said, we're declared righteous in Christ as if we had never sinned, yeah. it is finished. I mean, wow, the rest that comes from that is far greater than us trying to be busy little ants all over. Yeah. yeah. So so let me even, I want to I put my question then even in more perspective, because what I'm saying is, is simply that. It's a, like the fruit of your relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not experiencing fruit in your life, which is really the action side of the faith, yeah. if you're not experiencing those things, they may be a marker of what your relationship is with God. But the response isn't to say, well, I'm just going to keep trusting myself more and more. The response yeah. is to say, well, wait a minute, maybe I've taken my eyes off Christ or I've made myself the centerpiece of my life. And yeah. so, you know, when I, when I say ask yourself that question, you find the answer. It's not, well, go keep working harder. It's like, no, find, you know, the space to remind yourself of the goodness of God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's Absolutely. great advice. Well, the second piece that Scott brought up here is that Christ is our identity. And I think in some ways, this is almost the more foundational piece, <laughs> in a sense, because because this is how we actually kind of get to that idea of of our our righteousness being in Christ, and even our security is all kind of wrapped up in this idea of identity. Um, and what Scott said was that this is the core issue in our society today. We're kind of we, we've unpacked a little bit of this before, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's like our entire world is having an identity crisis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in some way, um, what maybe just some quick examples? Where, where where are we seeing this identity crisis in our world? Everywhere. Yeah, it's all over. <laughs> it's all over. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, you see it in sexuality. You see it in politics. You race. see it in race. You see it in schools, districts, and how people relate together. You see it in sports. You see it. I mean, you see a constant um, difficulty to kind of make new idols in our life and mm-hmm. make ourselves, you know, look yeah. better and yeah. try to define who we are. Cancel right. culture because we're just trying to decide who is worthy, who's not. Yep. Mm-hmm. You see it within is, the church. That bar? Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. It seems as if our world right now in this identity crisis, it's trying to figure out what it means to be human. 
right? Like what does it mean to be a human being? And there are so many different definitions of that because people are running to um, either definitions of identity that are too small or they're too flawed, mm-hmm. right? So, so they're running to, to they're running to things that that are like okay. So, like let's let, let's talk about um, politics for a second. They're running to things that like I, I I identify myself with this particular political party, but I'd say that's too small. Like, like that's important. I, I think I think there's things in there that are, that are important. You can identify yourself in that way, but that's too small of a category. Mm-hmm. And that and that if we're trying to define the entire human race in a particular way, if we're searching for the answer to that question, those categories are way too small for us to mm-hmm. identify. Yeah, you know. I would say, Chris, it's even moved. It's even moving slash moved beyond that, where it's as much about trying to figure out what does it mean to be human as to figure out what it is to be me. And so you have everybody trying to figure out what every individual person's identity is. Yeah. And so there's this uniqueness that continues to just divide more and more and more and more and more. Right. So everybody wants to belong, but everybody also wants to be incredibly unique. Mm-hmm. And I think those two things are at battle with one another in our culture, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. I, I, I think I said it that way just because it seems like as soon as one person's idea of identity conflicts with another, then they're like, no, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's, it's almost like they're having an argument over what is the correct definition of what it means to be a a, a good human being, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than, rather than a more individualized, but, but the individual is also upheld so much as well, like you're saying. And and so, yeah, it's, it's a, join us next week on relativism. It's a weird time (laughs) right now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what is good? Right. Okay. We'll stop there. I know, right? Golly. (laughs) So one of the things that I think is so critical in this idea of identity is the biblical concept of adoption, right? The way that the the Lord um, has told us that we are being adopted as his children. Tell uh, let's let's just unpack that a little bit. What does it mean to be adopted um, as a as a son or daughter of the king? So, so Paul, Paul explores adoption a lot in his letter to the church in Ephesus, but even let's just think about adoption in the obvious sense, you know, in, in America today, modern adoption, what we would think of adoption is an identity that you cannot um, place on yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. a kid in the foster system can't go to a parent and say, I want, um, I'm your son. (laughs) Like you can't, you can't place this identity on yourself. It's an identity that's been placed on you, which is why it's such a powerful, um, powerful, just visual of what's happening in the new Testament, um, what God has done for us. And so we have been adopted into the family of God. Um, Paul spends in the book of Ephesus, he spends three chapters talking about our identity in Christ and Mm -hmm. who we are. He says, we're heirs, we're co-heirs with Christ. We're adopted. And he, he goes on and on to say, this is who we are. Um, This is an identity that's been placed on us. Now, what's so important in this discussion is the next part that Paul says when he gets to Ephesians chapter four, verse one, where he says, now live a life worthy of what you've been called. So what he's saying is you're living out of this identity that's already been placed on you, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, A phrase popped in my mind as we were talking earlier that people always say, well, you know, I don't want to live to work. I want to work to live which neither one of those are actually right, yeah. you know, if you really think about it, because they're this idea within this conversation of rest that I want my job to set me up to live the identity that I want. Yeah. Or I'm going, you know, I don't want 
to be somebody that, you know, my entire life is just defined by my work. That's probably the better option. Yeah. But see, the actual biblical perspective, you know, the identity that's been placed on us as, on, as Christ is actually you already are. Mm-hmm. You already are adopted. You right. already are an heir. You already are a part of the family of God. So now live in light of that identity that's been placed on you. That's right. You're not, it's not as if you're trying to go through life trying to achieve your identity. You already have it. Yeah. So some, I, I, I know I'm going a little bit long, but some, no, pra- you're, some you're practical right. examples of this that I think are really helpful to give this perspective. Um, you know, when, when I became married, I was, to play on some other modern examples that would play into this, when I became married, um, I was considered a husband. Mm-hmm. You know, the, this identity that was placed on me, the moment that I said I do, we were legally bound in marriage. That doesn't necessarily mean that I understood how to be a good husband. I'll spend the rest of my life growing in this identity, but even when I make mistakes, mm-hmm. I'm still a husband. Yeah. See, this is this is Paul doesn't only do this with adoption, he does it with citizenship. I've told you I've been yep. reading through Philippians chapter one right now. Paul calls them, he says that they're citizens, you know, of the family of God. And he actually uses the same language where he says, So live a life worthy of the citizenship that you have in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so what he's not saying, what, what we have the tendency to think is he's like, I got to live up to this identity. And he goes, no, actually you live out of this identity that's been placed on you in Christ. And so yes. adoption is just such a powerful picture because for us, um, it's it, we can understand. And in the first century, I wish we had more time because they can understand <laughs> it even way better than we can, that we can understand that God has placed this identity on us. He's welcoming us into the family of God. And now we just live as if we are part of the family, and there's nothing that we can do that can make us leave the family of God. That's right. It's something that's placed on us. Yeah, yeah. It's something that's graciously done. It's permanent, mm-hmm. right? And it's something that uh, is um, then shapes us, like you're saying. It, it's, it's, uh, it, it shapes how we then live out of that reality. Um I know I've shared it on the podcast before, but I think it's just such a good image of what we're talking about. There's a family in our church who has some adopted kids, and they talk about how when they adopted their kids, because their kids were a little bit older, they weren't adopted at birth. So they said, um, you know, when we adopted our kids, they were justified, right? So in other other words, they were were in our family. Um, They are adopted, right? They're they're, they're part of our family, and they— you know, if we died, they got our inheritance and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But then there's this whole other element to it where then they have to kind of slowly figure out what it means to be part of our family. Mm-hmm. And that's this growing process where they're learning to live that out, and it, it kind of happens over time. And, and and I think it reflects this. There's this passage in Second Corinthians that I think is so neat that I think reflects this so well. So this is um, typically we see this as like that don't be unequally yoked passage, right? Um, but if you look at how that plays out, he says, um, this is 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord is Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So he's setting up this, this tension, right, between like, why would you welcome idols into your heart? Like, why would you, why would you live that way? Because And then he gives an identity statement. He says, we are temples of the living God. As God says, and, and, now check this out, this is so cool. He quotes a bunch of Old Testament passages here in a, in a very intentional stream. He says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so there's this, 
they're this picture of the justification, a legal um, transaction that is taking place of how they are now um, claimed as the people of God. But it go, he goes beyond that. So he says, therefore, go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord, touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And then, and then he says, and then I will be a, uh, and I will be a father to you, and mm-hmm. you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So you have two separate ideas of justification happening over here, but then adoption happening over here that's taking the legal action and then building it into a relationship that then establishes the identity of those people. Which I think leads us into the third one, you know, that Christ is my security. Yes. And that, and that, and adoption helps, helps present that image so well because it's a, it's a legal, legally binding thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like once you, once you're adopted, you're adopted. In the first century context, you could actually disown your son. Right. But you could not disown your adopted son. Yeah. You know, like they're standing. That is such an interesting detail. When you told told me that, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. this is specifically (laughs) within Ephesus, but this is where Paul's really unpacking adoption. And, but again, it's, it's, it's this legal binding relationship. And so we rest in the work of Christ um, for, you know, and, and for our, our growth, mm-hmm. you know, because we know God has already placed this standing on us. We rest in the identity knowing that we don't have to accomplish some sort of worth on this side of heaven, yeah. you know, and then third, we rest because our eternal security is locked in by the work of God yeah. through his son. Amen. <laughs> well, you guys, I hope that this has been helpful as we've been talking about all this stuff, because, you know, it, it seems like it seems like this is so foundational just to what it means to be a Christian <laughs> in our in our world. And um, and so if you have questions about this or if you're wrestling with this and feeling just overwhelmed or wondering what this means to kind of live in, in, in light of being adopted um, by, by Christ or adopted by the Father, then, man, come talk to us. We would love to chat with you about all this stuff and help out um, in any way that we can. And, um, yeah, guys, thanks again. Thanks for a good conversation today. It was Thank fun. You. <laughs> Thank you. No better way to spend a Tuesday morning, people. Uh. <laughs> Probably true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for listening today. And uh, we hope you guys have a great week. We're going to be jumping into on Sunday, Pastor Scott's starting a new series on the I am statements of Jesus. That's called I am. I am. I am. Yeah. <laughs> In the words of Jesus, right? That's right. So we're going to be looking at that this next week. So we hope to see you then on the Sunday recap. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>